Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Sawbones, Marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Before we came out, uh, our daughter, Charlie, insisted that I sit at the pink mic. And we're sp- we were supposed to sit in the middle. So that was what that was all about. So, so I had to move the windscreens. That's all. Yeah. It's not no. a big deal. <laughs> it probably seemed weird to y'all, but she asked. So it was like, whatever. She, well, she clarified several times before we left. Daddy, will you please let mommy sit at the pink mic, please? I didn't have the heart to tell her it was red, for sure. It's, yeah, it's, I'm looking at it. It's red. It's okay. Is she, she's not out there yet. Nah. Hey, everybody. Hi, Columbus. How are you? <laughs> it's good to see you again. OH. Thank you very much. See, I know about sports. It's kind of my thing. Wow. Learned that from my dad last week, and now I'm doing it all the time. In lots of places that aren't here, it does not go anywhere, really. It's kind of a conversational dead end, especially one-on-one. That's the thing. You're at the bank with a loan officer, and they're like, is there anything else? And you're like, uh, O-H? And they're like, uh, Mr. McElroy, I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, sorry for the delay. We had a, um, we had to, I had to feed, well, he didn't help. I had to feed our daughter very quickly, our three-month-old. So. Yeah, so hey. Quick boobing break. Everything's good now. So, <laughs> so what are we talking about this week, Sid? Well, so I'm sorry, Ohio, but you may have heard that closing in all around you, in West Virginia, in Kentucky, in Indiana, in Michigan, all around Hepatitis A <laughs> is coming. But not here yet. Yet. <laughs> so we are your frontline protection against Hepatitis A. This far, no farther. You all realize that, right? Like, you are surrounded. It's, if you do it's a map ev- it's coming. with darts, it looks bad for you currently. <laughs> like, the, the wall is all around you, and the, the white... Walkers, I guess. I don't know. I need Taylor back out here. They're like pounding at the wall, like at the hepatitis walkers. They're like, let us in. Um, so, of course, everybody's favorite topic, we're going to talk about hepatitis today. <laughs> A, to Some be specific. Um, there have been, there've been outbreaks really close, you guys. Really close to us, too. Yeah. At, at like Taco 45 Bell. minutes from us. And they're at Taco Bells, which is like, oh, a two? A two Taco Bell? Yeah. <laughs> A little close the, to home. And the most recent, like, the, they estimated, like, well, the employee was probably working here for, like, 
11 days before we figured it out. That's a lot of 4 a.m. runs to Taco Bell. 11 days. And they've said in the news that, like, they they don't think it's necessary to alert people who ate at that Taco Bell. And it's like, hey, in case I did eat at that Taco Bell, why don't you go ahead on and alert me? <laughs> and I will set my own alertness level <laughs> dependent on my own sort of personal uh, panic attack readiness, which is always at red. <laughs> <laughs> so, Justin, do you know much about hepatitis? Not a thing. There, there are different kinds of hepatitis, and so that's why I think it's useful. We're just going to focus on hepatitis A, which, if you care about this kind of thing, is a picornovirus. Most people are a like, what? Oh, whatever. It's just a kind of virus. Okay, it's a kind of, of virus. It, kind of virus. And it is transmitted from human to human through my favorite route. Oh, yeah. The fecal oral route. I was waiting for everybody. <laughs> They've made the right choice. <laughs> In case I need to clarify what that means is that okay. <laughs> if you have hepatitis A, it comes out, you know, in, in your poop. And then you, you know, clean yourself up. And if you don't wash properly and then you shake somebody's hand or you make their tacos. It's indirectly eating someone's dookie. I mean, do you need me to, ooh, or why are we dancing around this? Let's. That's how, that's how that goes. Got it. Fecal oral. <laughs> you can also have cases from like contaminated food and water and that kind of thing. But this is what the most recent outbreaks, this is what we've worried about because they've been at restaurants and that's scary. Um, if you get it, the symptoms, you'll get some, some stomach pain, nausea, vomiting, you get diarrhea. And, and the thing that you would notice probably the most is that you can get jaundice, which means you turn yellow because your liver is inflamed. And so then you know like hmm, something's not right. And it's actually interesting, in younger kids, it's usually asymptomatic. Nothing happens. They get it. They get better. You never knew that they were sick. But the older you get, the more likely you are to have symptoms from it, especially the jaundice, which becomes very prominent as we get older. And in rare cases, you may even need to be hospitalized with this disease. Uh, very rarely is it fatal, which is a good thing. It can make you really sick, but most of the time, you will get better. That's most a good thing. Most of the time. <laughs> I um, thought you, isn't like, with hep C, aren't you like stuck with it for good? With hep B and hep C, yes, there are chronic infections that can happen, but hepatitis A is just a short-term thing. Oh. You get sick, and for the not, most part, you get better. Not even that big of a deal. And we won't focus on the people who don't. This is a comedy podcast. Okay, got it. Yeah, good choice. Excellent. Uh, now, and, and as you mentioned, there are other kinds of viral hepatitis, and all hepatitis means is inflammation of the liver. So there are different viruses that can cause inflammation of the liver, and like you said, they can last for different periods of time, and they're transmitted through different routes. There's, there's B, and there's C, and there's D, and there's E, oh, actually. You don't hear a lot about D and E. No, you don't, but, you know, they're bad, too. Yes, <laughs> I've very rarely heard someone talk about some good hepatitis they got. <laughs> hey, I got that kind of hepatitis that helps you jump even higher and <laughs> dunk even better. It's hepatitis D for dunk. Now, uh, as you may imagine, the the most obvious 
symptom of the disease is the jaundice, is, you know, turning yellow. Most people would notice that. So if you go back throughout history to try to find, like, how did people diagnose and treat hepatitis A in ancient times, a lot of it is just about jaundice. So there's probably a lot of intermingling, like, what were they really, what kind of jaundice were they really talking about? Was it hepatitis A? Was it hepatitis B? We don't really know. So a lot of these ancient treatments I'm focusing on were just for the fact, uh-oh, you turned yellow, here's some ideas I have <laughs> <laughs> for, for how to address that. Um, jaundice also in a lot of ancient texts is referred to as icterus, which is a reference to a bird that was yellow from Greek mythology, in case you're interested in, in that. That's where that comes from. We still use that term today. Judging from so. the response, I'm assuming none of no. you are. <laughs> Um, and even though they didn't know the different reasons that you might turn yellow, Hippocrates did note that if you turned yellow and got diarrhea, you tended to get better. As opposed to not getting diarrhea, and that was probably bad. So, when, so you, it's one of the few times where you're like, oh, heck yeah, diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. If you have to turn yellow, let's hope you get diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, as I've mentioned, outbreaks of hepatitis A. I do, actually, I will say, I do love an excuse to not be far from my toilet. That is, I will say that in favor of diarrhea. It's like, I know I actually can't tonight. I'd love to come to your son's birthday party, but um, I do have to stay near my toilet. <laughs> it's the only excuse people don't ask for more details yeah. on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. I have diarrhea. Oh, okay. Okay, all right. See you later. Uh, there were epidemics in Babylon, ancient China, ancient Greece, and we knew it was contagious long before we understood why. We knew there was some sort of jaundice that was contagious, and we know that because there was a letter from the Pope, Pope Zacharias, to St. Boniface in 751 CE, in which he said, um, don't serve Holy Communion to people with jaundice until after everybody else gets it, <laughs> please. <laughs> Put them at the back of the line, because there's something going on and we're spreading it. So. Nice. I would say maybe stay home until you get better. Thank would you. Be my advice. Um, Jesus will understand. Yes. He invented diarrhea. <laughs> his, well, his dad did. Fine. <laughs> he didn't get rid of it, though. Uh, I don't know where Could you're have. going. Let's just let's just go saying back. Jesus's dad invented diarrhea. Let's go back to Mother's Day's coming up, and um... so hepatitis. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Pliny the Elder, one of our um, oh, here you go. our family friend, had a lot of a lot family of ideas. <laughs> Roman naturalist and and jack of all trades, master of none. Can we tell that story? <laughs> Wait, you said family friend. Can I tell that story about Riley real quick? For a long time, <laughs> Riley thought that Robin Williams was there when she was born. I have no, no idea, idea why. why. She just started telling people that. But she would. We would talk about our family friend Robin Williams, who was there when Riley was born. I, hand to God, I don't know for years, and we fought so hard. It was like Americans' level of subterfuge trying to keep this secret from her that Robin Williams was not, in fact, present at her birth. <laughs> family friend Robin Williams. So. And then he died the day before Charlie was born. Why did you have to take it there? Why'd you have to go all the way there? Because I wanted to keep it up for Charlie, but like that would have been a stretch. <laughs> like a double stretch. 
You always say I have to take it to the to the end. Now he's there when everyone's born. Think about it. Okay. That's kind of lovely, isn't Let's it? Let's just. You are. You are. I don't. You nanu, been, nanu, You know. <laughs> It's kind of sweet, actually. You've been down in a dark room with our three-month-old for too long. I have. For the past 45 minutes, I've been in a black room holding a sleeping child. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Nanny, nanny. Plenty had lots of ideas for jaundice. I don't care what his ideas are, Sid. You treat the patient, you win, you lose. Let me start again. You treat the disease, you win, okay. you lose. You treat the person, you win every time. Patch Adams. Do you, do you want to know what Pliny did for Yes, Donna? please. Okay. Go for it. All right. First of all, there's so many of these. The, first of all, you could try earwax. Okay. Or <laughs> the filth that adheres to the udders of a sheep. I don't... The I don't, filth. God, it's so grody. <laughs> Could have said dirt. Now, if it makes it more palatable, you're going to mix that with some myrrh and some wine. Nice. Smells good. Um, the, hmm, and I'm sorry for this one. I didn't write it. Plenty did. The ashes of a dog's head mixed with honeyed wine or a millipede. You also want to mix that with wine. These are all in wine. <laughs> There's some earthworms. In honey wine, again, wine in which a hen's feet have been washed after being first cleansed with water. Also, the hen must have yellow feet. Ah, that's right. very important. The brains of a partridge or an eagle, whatever is easier for you to obtain. <laughs> uh, the ashes of a ring dove's feather or the intestines, again, either way. And then you want to mix that with three spoonfuls of wine. Again, yep. ashes of sparrows burnt upon twigs in honeyed wine. There's another, <laughs> there's another bird, the one I mentioned earlier, known as the icterus, which if you look at it, it you will be cured of your jaundice. <laughs> That's the one. Okay, listen. But, Can I do that one? But, but the bird will die. So lots of birds die every day. <laughs> I don't want to eat, eat dog head ashes. What's what's great about all the all these cures is that the one that stuck was the one where you look at a bird and it dies. That that you see repeated over and over again, and it, and the thought is that they were they were mainly just birds that were yellow, and that you could look at a yellow bird and you would transfer the jaundice to the bird, and the bird would die. Plutarch wrote. The bird appears to attract the disease to itself and averts its head and closes its eyes, not as some think because it is jealous of the remedy sought, but because it feels wounded as if from a blow. <laughs> then it's got your jaundice. Take that. So <laughs> uh, in, in medieval times, there were lots of great recipes. There always are. Not at the restaurant. They, I mean, they probably have lots of great Recipes. Medieval Times probably has great recipes for jaundice birds. <laughs> they have like giant turkey legs, probably. Flagons of mead and what have you. Uh, no, I mean, in, in the actual medieval period, you would find, you know, treat your jaundice with things like lion's gall. So just get that from a lion. No problem. Good luck with well, that. Well, I'm already, I have hepatitis, so I really feel like fighting a lion right now <laughs> and taking its gall. We have just started rehearsing 
for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Or you could you could swallow nine lice, nine, <laughs> count out the lice, nine, mixed with ale each morning for a week. <laughs> I think the ale was just like, you're swallowing lice. You want to wash it down with something. Throw it in some ale. Uh, at, at the time, a lot of people believed in the doctrine of signatures. We've talked about this before. That's the idea that light, light cures, cures like. Hey. New. Look at that. What's up? So you've turned yellow, you need to eat something yellow, all will be well. It's also and the so, basis for homeopathy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you see a lot of a lot of treatments with things like dandelions and fennel and, and different things that had yellow flowers and just eat that and you'll get better. That the same idea as the yellow birds. Uh 
Hildegard of Bingen, who was an abbess that I learned about while researching this topic and was very excited about her, she studied all kinds of different stuff, medicine and music, and she wrote the Physica, which was a collection of nine books that talked about um, the medicinal properties of different plants. Um, and she seemed really cool and ahead of her time. Uh, she actually, to cover, this is just a side note, to cover that she had all these really clever ideas and that she was a woman in a time when women weren't supposed to have clever ideas, she just said that all of them were visions she was having from God. And people were willing to accept that, but they were not willing to accept the idea that she was a woman who had good ideas. <laughs> so that was just what she said about everything. Well, it was a vision from God, and everybody went, we're on it. Now this... <laughs> <laughs> this was not one of her best ideas, though. <laughs> so if you have jaundice, you stun a bat. Don't kill it. <laughs> stun it. <laughs> okay. By striking it gently. Then you tie it over your loins. <laughs> Make sure that the, like, the bat's back is facing your bat. <laughs> We're not doing anything naughty. Just tie the bat in front of your loins. Uh, wait a little while and then tie it over your stomach. I don't know what a little while is as long as you can handle that bat on your loins. <laughs> and, then you, and then you leave it there until it dies. And then you're going to be fine to this bat that you stunned. I am worried about when it wakes up. It is so... <laughs> it's so wild to me that people in certain parts of history had afternoons where they would stare at the bat on their crotch <laughs> and wonder if it was dead. <laughs> like, they would flick the bat on their crotch and be like, are you dead yet? Because I would love to take you off. Uh, this idea, and you but see But there this. was no TV. <laughs> what do you want them to do? They were probably jized to have, like, an activity of some sort. <laughs> This idea of transferring illnesses to animals, this is not uncommon throughout history. The idea that, like, there's something wrong with you, and if you just, like, rub an animal on you or look at it or something, you could give it to the animal. We do this... We humans like to do that a lot. And so in, in 1611, there's a great um, treatment for jaundice that Ernest Burgrove recommended. He wrote a medical treatise on jaundice, and among his treatments was take some blood from the right arm of a patient with jaundice and seal it in two to three chicken eggs with fish glue. I don't know how you're going to do that. What is fish glue? I don't know what fish glue is, and I don't know how you were going to open up an egg and put blood in it and reseal it. I mean, that's I've a seen, delicate operation. I've seen people put confetti in eggs. They drain the... Good oh, you got to blow in them. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, saw yeah, that yeah. on Trading Spaces. They yes. decorated a room with them. And then you put, what is it? <laughs> the blood from the patient with hepatitis. Okay, perfect. And then you seal it with? Fish glue. Fish glue. <laughs> okay. Then you got to put them under a hen. Like, find, trick a hen. <laughs> you got you to trick the hen and get the hen to sit on those eggs for two to three weeks. What? Yeah. I have jaundice now. <laughs> two to three weeks, and then you crack them open. And you, I mean, you know what's inside. Like, it's congealed blood. And you're going you're gonna to feed that to either a pig or a dog. Your Come choice. On. And they, they, he actually recommends you can mix it in with their food if you have to. <laughs> If you have to. And then once the animal gets sick, you get better. Which is like a really roundabout way to cure your jaundice. And I mean, like, by I mean, then you're either dead or then. better, right? Like if you like, have Pepe, you're probably better. He did it. The dog did it. He didn't. 
though. He didn't do anything. He ate your nasty blood egg. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. You see that people began to realize that there was some kind of jaundice that was different than other kinds because they started calling it things like epidemic jaundice. Because, I mean, we usually don't... There were other reasons that you might turn yellow, other reasons for liver failure that didn't weren't contagious, uh, but hepatitis A was. And this became closely tied to military operations. It was actually known as campaign jaundice for a while because people were in close quarters, sanitation kind of went out the window in wartime, and things like hepatitis A would spread very easily. And so you see lots of cases in the Napoleonic Wars, in the Civil War, and both of the World Wars, which is actually where we started to learn a lot about it. Um, by the 1900s, we knew that there was some kind of infectious cause. By the 1920s, we knew there was probably a virus responsible, but we didn't know a lot more. World War II is really where we started to figure this out, and it was because it became such a huge problem. Um, 200,000 U.S. soldiers were suffering from hepatitis A in World War II, so that's a lot of sick people. And even though the vast majority are going to get better, I mean, you can't, you can't fight when you're sick. So you're taking people out of, out of the war for a long time. So because of the pressing need to figure it out, that's when we started to make some more breakthroughs. One thing they did notice that was really interesting is that officers were actually more susceptible to hepatitis A than everybody else. Why is that? Because they thought it was things like the uh, insulated communities, like the officers' club, or like, I guess they had like swimming pools that were just for the officers and things like that. And so they were like, they were more likely to group closely together for long periods of time. And so the officers were getting sick more often. I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. So in order to figure out what was causing all this, they had to, they had to you know, start isolating the, the whatever the agent was from patient's blood, you know, take it out of their serum, and then they had to figure out how to grow it in Petri dishes. And this is all very hard with viruses, especially at the time. And usually at that point, you want to try to like, well, I think this is what's causing it, so I need to infect something else and see if they get sick. That's kind of how we figure out, are we right? Are we on the right track? Well, at the time, we weren't very good at doing any of this with viruses, so the only thing we knew how to do was transfer it from person to person. And the only way we knew how to do that was to take stuff from a human that we thought probably could make another human sick and put it in them. So a series of voluntary human experiments start at this point. Uh-oh. Yeah. These are pretty gross. I'm just going to warn you. So if I think that this patient with diarrhea has some sort of virus, and I want to find out what's in there and what will make another person sick, an easy way to do that might be to take some of that diarrhea and put it in another human, which is exactly what people started doing. In 1942, there was a study where volunteers were fed duodenal fluid, so that's fluid from the small intestine, uh, from patients with hepatitis, and then some got sick, and they went, hey, we're on to something. <laughs> Volunteers? <laughs> hey, everybody much... in that study, it's me, Justin Becker from 2018, where we got this all figured out. You're nasty. Now, how's that? How's that? You're nasty. I, they, that's the only excuse I get to come up with. What they were trying nasty. To, to isolate was is it through blood? Is it through what? How is this happening? Like, there are different, we think there are different kinds. So, is it the blood? Is it, is it the feces? What is it? So, they started a study in 1944 where they injected serum from infected patients into other people. And then they also sprayed feces from patients with hepatitis 
into the nose of volunteers to see like different kinds. Like you seem to have one kind of jaundice, you get the feces spray, you have a different kind, we'll do the serum and we'll see who gets sick. And it was, to, it was how they started to figure out the difference between hepatitis A, which as I said, is spread through the fecal oral route and hepatitis B and C, which is spread through like blood to blood contact. See, now I'm sad they're not making another jackass movie because <laughs> that would be perfect. They could also do some good, which is nice. Uh, in, in 45, they continued these studies. They fed volunteers with feces and serum and then injected serum into the patients. Boy, serum is becoming a pretty upsetting euphemism, eh? <laughs> mm, it's a serum, wink. No, no, it's just like blood. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's blood. Okay. You know, it's like from blood. Okay, can you read this sentence again, but substitute uh, blood there in there? Fed volunteers with feces and blood. Okay, it's Okay, yeah, better. it's like worse, right? Yeah. It's like wicked worse. Uh, they continued, um, they fed at one point pooled feces from several patients with active hepatitis. I don't know what that was all about. I kept looking at that going, but why do you need so many? <laughs> but why? <laughs> what are you proving now? Um, but the one that they used looked like it, they were thinking this was what they started to call serum hepatitis, which was what we eventually knew to be hepatitis B and C. So they fed this stuff to other patients and they didn't get sick. And they were like, hmm, this one is not spread through poop. Sorry about the poop you ate. <laughs> but good news. <laughs> You don't have hepatitis. Um, and then they started to, uh, there was actually in 1945 an outbreak of infectious hepatitis at a summer camp in the Poconos. This worried me because we went there that one time. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, they. I'm sure it's fine now. <laughs> from that, they, there was this outbreak, and so they started taking, like, serum and feces and, like, the washings you of You keep saying serum, Smurl, and you know what, thank you. <laughs> feces and, like, some stuff from inside their nose, like washings from inside Bugs. their nose. Like, what yeah, is up with boogers that? And urine. And they, they started, like, trying to infect a bunch of the... Um, people at the camp with it to try to protect them against it. It was like early, like, you know, to try to give you passive immunity, to try to give you antibodies. Did it work? That's when they started to have a breakthrough. They figured out that once you got infectious hepatitis, you had something in your blood that we could give to other people and would keep them from getting hepatitis, which was a major breakthrough. They just had to do it in a really gross way. The grossest woman, are you? I am trying to go to camp. Can we all just relax? <laughs> They also figured out where the other kind of hepatitis, not hepatitis A, what they at the time referred to as serum hepatitis, which we now know as like B and C. Um, they figured out where that was coming from. It was actually, at the time, soldiers had to get the yellow fever vaccine, and the way that it was prepared was using blood from other patients. And they, we obviously didn't know how to screen for hepatitis. We didn't know it was a thing. And so we were giving soldiers hepatitis with their yellow fever vaccine, and so they figured that out. So vaccines really are bad. No. <laughs> no. Finally got to the root of it, eh? No, we don't do that anymore. We al they also were reusing so needles, which we don't do anymore. So anyway, they figured all this out. Because of World War II, they did all these studies, and they finally said, you know what? There's something called hepatitis A, and this is something that we can spread. Was this the poop. first hepatitis that they came up with? I mean, what do you mean they came up with? I'm just saying if it's the first hepatitis they found, calling it hepatitis A is kind of negative thinking. <laughs> we found this one. We're pretty sure no, there's others, they though. Knew, they already knew 
there was they already knew there was some kind of epidemic one and they knew that there was some kind of serum one. Okay. And that's and then eventually from that they figured out B and C and D and E and all that. But those are those will be other future podcasts. Okay. We won't get into that yet. Um, I'm on the edge of my seat. So <laughs> so from all that ingestion of poop and blood and, and nasopharyngeal washings, those are boogers, they figured all this out from all those volunteers. Thanks, volunteers. Although, like, I'm sorry I said you were nasty. <laughs> and in 1992, we introduced the hepatitis A vaccine. So Woo. that's where all this is leading to, is there is hope because there's a vaccine against hepatitis. And since we've introduced that, rates of infection in places where we have it have dropped precipitously. Specifically in the U.S., we have a hepatitis A vaccine. Now, if you are around our age, you probably have never had it. How's your Saturday? <laughs> it is now part of the standard vaccines we give kids, although they don't have to. In a lot of states, it's not necessary. You don't have to get the hep A vaccine, but it's rolled in with a lot of childhood immunizations, so most kids get protected. Like our, our daughter has had her hep A vaccines. Uh, Riley got hers. <laughs> She's fine. But the only reason I've had mine is because I left the country. So if you've left the country, somebody may have recommended to you to get one, and you may have had your series of two vaccines. Otherwise, you probably haven't. So you need to check that out. You have oh, Also, there's a huge rush on it, so you probably won't be able to get it because everybody's trying to get it well, now. Don't be negative. I'm just saying Cindy said they're out at her office because I was like, uh, let me get up on that at bay because I want to eat my Taco Bell with like a clean conscience. <laughs> I know I'm killing myself with it, but I don't want to do it that fast. <laughs> like, so seriously though, it's we, it I'm is closing in completely, on you. Completely, this is as serious as I get. <laughs> <laughs> the hepatitis A vaccine is usually available at the local health department and at your doctor's office, and it's not something you would have standardly been given. Um, and even though, like I said, it's it's really rare. The fact that we're having this many cases in the U.S. is really rare. Globally, it is not rare at all. There are about 1.4 million symptomatic cases each year, cases we actually know about, which means there are probably 114 million cases of infection each year. So it's all over the globe and now coming to a theater near you. So this is actually where we can actually help, right? Because I bet, because none of the headlines are about Taco Bells in Ohio, that y'all maybe could be ahead of the curve. So like just tomorrow or probably Monday, just call down and be like, um, no reason, but I would, I'm just having kind of a silly afternoon, and I would just love to get the hepatitis A If you'll have like 15 minutes where you could just scooch me in, I'd just love to get that vaccine real quick. No reason, though. No, 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 no reason. It's not Ohio, so nobody should like freak out, because you guys probably have it. In fact, I may like on the way out of town tomorrow be the like, vaccine. Uh, we got a little time, I'm going to get the hep A vaccine real quick. That's actually not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. I, yeah. Good luck finding that on Sunday, but... But that's it. That was my last point. Just get, get, get vaccinated. Just get vaccinated before, against everything. Before we bring our West Virginia hepatitis. <laughs> what we're here to say is we're very sorry about our West Virginia hepatitis <laughs> that we created. Um, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for for coming out, and thank you to the Columbus Podcast Festival for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you for having us again. This wonderful event. Um, thank you to Court Appointed and Still Buffering, two great podcasts that you should all be listening to, of course, obviously. <laughs> Thanks to Max Fun for having us as part of their extended podcasting family. You can find so many great shows at MaximumFun.org. Oh, 
we got a book coming out. If you go to bit.ly forward slash Sawbones book, words by me and her and pictures by Taylor Smurl, who you saw earlier, she drew the pictures and that's it. It's just the three of us making a whole book. <laughs> it's so many pages to fill, but it'll be out in October and you can pre-order it now and that would be wonderful you would do. So Sydney, do you have anything else? No, that's it. Thank All you. Right. Thanks. To the taxpayers for the use of their song medicine since the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you for coming. And thank you to you for listening in the, in the future. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. But until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.